This episode of A Change of Brand is brought to you by BrandPad, a new standard of brand guidelines. BrandPad is an online platform made by designers for designers. Keep listening for a special code just for you, our listeners. Designing for big corporations, I think, is the hardest thing to do because I always look at what any agency has done for a big corporation. I'm really wowed by it because if they've just done something clever or interesting or creative or slightly different, I know they've been through how to get there. They really have to know how to sell design. So I believe that we've done that with Visa and we moved the needle to something that was unexpected uh, from a company like Visa as much as we possibly could. And I'm still very proud of it to this day and I always will be up. Hey everyone, welcome to A Change of Brand, a show featuring behind-the-scenes stories of rebrand, glory, drama, or disaster. I'm your host, Blake Howard. Today we get to talk about a brand we all know, but one we rarely think about. It lines the plastic in our wallets, yet what exactly is it? A bank? A stamp of credibility or security? Perhaps this 1972 charming commercial can help explain. Bank AmeriCard. Think of it as money. Money when you're close to home. Money when you're away from home. Money for unexpected things. And money for those times when cash, and only cash, will do. Bank AmeriCard. It's money in a more versatile form. Visa, previously known as Bank AmeriCard, is considered to be one of the most dominant bank card companies in the world, where it commands a 50% market share of total card payments. It's also one of the most recognizable brands in the world. In fact, it can be seen across an estimated 3.7 billion digital and physical touch points, such as cards, decals, and more. The Visa brand is everywhere you want to be, quite literally, just like their tagline. So why did they debut a new brand identity in July of 2021? What problem were they trying to solve? What most people don't know is how complex their business really is. It's a global tangle of networks, partnerships, and technology powering most of our commerce today. Around 2020, Visa wanted to reposition their brand for the digital economy and become more purpose-driven. However, today's episode isn't really about that or their strategy to have more soul or to change perceptions. It's about honesty and how honest can an agency be with their client. You certainly can't continuously disagree with your client. That doesn't feel very good and eventually they'll just fire you. But you also can't just do whatever they say either. That eliminates the real value you bring as an outsider. So where's the line? Today, we get a story that finds the right balance, but just barely. There is also a terribly hard tension that happens in major corporate rebrands. And when I say major, I mean like gigantic bureaucratic machines rife with internal politics and driven by analytical decisions. Those conditions are the opposite of what is needed to produce beautiful and meaningful identity design. We get to hear how one group navigated those challenges and fought tirelessly for the work, and it certainly paid off. 
For more backstory on Visa and what led up to this 2021 change of brand, let's go to brand strategist Tracy Clark for our briefing. The credit card that would eventually become Visa was created by Bank of America in 1958. Originally started as the Bank AmeriCard credit card program, it became the first successful, recognizably modern credit card. Previously, individual merchants issued charge cards, but those lacked widespread appeal because they were only accepted by a few merchants. This was the first time cards were issued by a third party and generally accepted by a large number of merchants, allowing for faster adoption. Despite leading the charge, you get it? Bank of America sought to stay ahead of its competitor that would later become MasterCard and began licensing its credit card program to other banks. In 1970, Bank of America released control of the program, allowing the other banks who issued its credit cards to form a co-op that would now manage this separate entity. And in 1976, it was renamed as Visa. The original logo features two stripes, one with blue on top and golden yellow on the bottom, symbolizing the blue sky and gold-colored hills of California where Bank of America was founded. Over a decade later, Visa became the feature of the logo as it split off from its parent company, replacing Bank AmeriCard. For the next 30 years, the logo was tweaked slightly but remaining largely unchanged. Then in 2005, Visa shed its stripes and became a standalone blue wordmark with a golden flick on the V. Eventually, the golden flick was dropped as well, and from 2014 on, Visa continued as a simple blue wordmark with various shifts in hue. The idea behind the name Visa was that it was simple and sounded the same in every language, allowing it to seamlessly integrate across countries and cultures. In pursuit of global reach, Visa's sponsorship of the Olympic Games since 1986 and the International Paralympic Committee since 2002 puts the bank card on the world stage. Aside from being the only card accepted at all Olympic and Paralympic venues, Visa gets millions of eyeballs around the globe. Even the 2006 campaign, No Matter What It Takes, Life Takes Visa, and the 2014 tagline, Everywhere You Want to Be, speak to Visa's intention of being ubiquitous. While Visa was already a global leader in bank cards, it wanted to expand its influence and be recognized as a larger economic player. To signal this shift, Visa needed a new visual expression to match and embarked on a change of brand beginning in 2020. Curious to know whether it all paid off? Well, you'll have to keep listening to find out. I'm a sucker for the classic Visa wordmark. It's been around since 1977 with minimal tweaks, and to me it's a great example of what a wordmark should do. It's legible and memorable. Typically with wordmarks, you want to find one letter form and make it unique. And for Visa, it's the little notch on the top left part of the V. It gives it a little movement or maybe a little swipe, but it doesn't inhibit the ability to read it at small sizes. Luckily for me, today's rebrand story doesn't disrupt my feel-good vibes for the logo. It mostly stays the same. What we will discuss, however, is the significant change to the overall visual system. A new custom typeface called Visa Dialect, updated colors, including a change to their legacy blue, new imagery, illustrations, animations, and a secondary symbol. I think the work is quite stunning and beautiful, but be sure to check it out for yourself at achangeofbrand.com. 
Around 2020, Visa contacted a select group of reputable agencies and asked them to engage in a paid pitch process where they would present their initial ideas for helping Visa with their visual identity. Then, in turn, Visa would choose one group to move forward with for the project. One thing as a designer I've always wondered about Visa is why on earth they had that little wing on the V and why was it folding over with the yellow color and why was it so bad? That was my perception of the brand as in terms of what it looked like. Obviously, I was using it every day and we all do. It's on our credit cards and debit cards in our pocket, along obviously MasterCard, Amex, etc., and other ones. But um, it's out there in the world and you see it on windows, stickers, you see it on your card. You kind of really don't think about it. That's Rob Duncan, partner and creative director at Mucho, one of the agencies Visa was considering. He leads their San Francisco office and has an impressive resume. Having spent seven years at Pentagram, along with a stint as an art director for Apple, and the last 14 years he's been running his own studio. Initially, however, he wasn't quite sure if this was the right fit for them. They reached out to us and uh, with an RFP, and initially I turned it down because I thought, well, we're only a team of six people. There's no way that we would ever win this. Why would we be, even be going for this? And I couldn't imagine working with a corporation, especially one that wasn't design focused. I was just seeing layers and layers, decision makers and not being able to get anything done. It seemed like a hell of a project. So I turned them down and uh, they actually came back and said that we really like Lucho's work. We're only reaching out to four or five agencies, I think, and we'd like you to reconsider. Uh, which was great because we didn't have any work in the middle of the pandemic. So we said yes to doing the pitch. And that's something I don't do. We never do free pitches and we never do paid pitches either until you work with a client and get to know them and understand the strategy. Only then can you come up with the right idea. If you don't have access to that, really you're essentially just throwing shit against the wall. And a pitch process is just everybody's throwing shit against the wall, hoping that their shit sticks better than the other agency. Rob is a straight shooter. At first, he boldly turned down Visa's invitation, but after a change of heart, he reconsidered. Even though he didn't have high hopes of really winning it, they went for it. One observation that Rob had from the initial conversations with Visa was their desire to have a digital-first identity which really just means making design choices that work best for screens and not for paper. So for the pitch, instead of creating a normal presentation as a flat PDF or in some other format, they created a website to showcase the work in a true, live, digital environment. This allowed for more interaction and animation to really wow Visa onlookers. Additionally, Rob thinks they had one more advantage. Our price was probably one of the lowest half of everybody because I've never done this before. I didn't know how to evaluate and price up such a big project. Whether it was just a low price or a unique presentation or a combination of both, regardless, Mucho won the work and got started right away. With most of the core brand strategy already complete by the Visa team, Mucho spent the first month doing close to 120 interviews with Visa employees to better understand perspectives and needs across the company. After the initial research, they put together a creative brief summarizing all of the learnings and their approach for moving forward. You know, this was 
not part of what we were hired to do, but what we discovered by asking all these people around the world, we were getting a lot of kind of information on how internally the visa decision-making structure was broken and how information was being relayed, etc., in such a large business. And that was really interesting because I brought this up with them. Um, we brought this up with them when we said to them, look, we can give you a new coat of paint. But really, if something's broken on the inside, just putting a new coat of paint on it, it's the cracks are going to appear very quickly again. And in a couple of years, you're going to need to rebrand this because there's a systemic issue inside Visa that when, you know, that's not our job to do that. But I think maybe that needs to be sorted out before we do this project. With only a few months to complete their work, there wasn't really time for Rob to conduct creative services therapy sessions in hopes of fixing their internal issues. That was just out of scope for him. So they focused on what was in scope. So we came up with three concepts, showed them three or three or four very different ideas. Visa isn't a design-led company. And we wouldn't expect it to be a design-led company. It's a money-based company, but they're data-driven. Every decision they're made has to be backed up with data. So already in their timeline, they'd given two weeks for the entire design process and maybe four or five months for user testing. So the first thing I said is that's not going to work. Why have you got more time for user testing than you have for us to eat and design it? So we had to change the timeline and be honest and say that there's not enough time in the to do that properly. So we changed it as much as we could and presented the three ideas. But again, the way they were evaluating those three ideas is there was a committee of people with a piece of paper that had checkboxes on it. So they were evaluating design through data, analyzing it at the same time. Is it ticking this box? Is it ticking that box? Is it ticking this box? It became very clear that this was the wrong direction. Because of that decision-making process, we were going down the wrong route. And internally, with us and with Wine and Kennedy, we all decided through some many heated discussions and honest discussions that we're missing something here. They realized it was simply the yellow that was missing and the flag. The feedback had been too heavily focused on the visa wordmark and to move on without the yellow or the flag. However, those were two important elements for the visual recognition for Visa. So we paused, regrouped, and that's where we really came up with the idea of the symbol uh, being an equals mark. It's always been there. We dropped the Visa, created a word mark and a symbol, and then made the symbol represent an equals mark. And because Visa wanted to be known as a purpose-driven company, it changed away from a credit card company to we believe economies that include everyone everywhere, uplift everyone everywhere. The symbol was perfect to represent quality, access, and diversity. The course correction, according to Rob, was a great example of why design shouldn't be judged by a set of boxes to be ticked. There needs to be room for emotion and design intuition. This change in direction was also a testament to the courage of Rob and others in the work. The easy route would have been just to keep going, to keep the momentum up, and to take the path of least resistance. However, that's not how Rob rolls. Then it became a case of Wyman Kennedy and us agreeing with this particular group internally and trying to convince the other part of Visa that this was the right way to go. 
And just eventually people came on board, different people at higher levels loved the flag and wanted it to be everywhere. And then that was the other issue is dealing with a word mark and a flag couldn't be everywhere, but then people falling in love with it so much that they wanted to plaster that everywhere. So it was tricky at that point, but, um, it, 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 that was a very collaborative process, I think. And just honesty, that's what it took is just being honest and that's standing up, raising your hand and saying, this isn't working. Rob said he has to be willing to lose any project, no matter how big or important. That mindset keeps him honest. Okay, it's time for a quick break. But when we come back, we see if that honesty pays off or if it's declined at the register. All that and more after the break. Hey, while we're taking this break, I want to give a huge shout out to BrandPad for sponsoring this episode. I love using BrandPad here at Matchstick where I work. Gone are the days of static and dusty brand guidelines. Made by designers for designers, BrandPad is easy to use and allows us and our clients to make updates instantly. Because it's become our go-to platform for creating beautiful digital guidelines for clients, our friends at BrandPad have given us a code to share with you in hopes that it helps you too. Use code CHANGE15 for 15% off of your next subscription. For more information, check out brandpad.io. That's brandpad.io. Hey, listeners. Did you know Blake, our fearless podcast host and dad joke expert, has written a book? What? Yeah, it's totally true. It covers a range of brand identity topics and solutions to help CMOs and other brand leaders uncover a more radically relevant brand. In fact, that's the name, Radically Relevant. And since we all love to take quizzes, it comes with an assessment too, so you can see how your brand stacks up against the competition. For more on the book or to take the free Radically Relevant assessment, check out radicallyrelevantbrand.com. And if you're enjoying the show, don't forget to join the conversation on Instagram. See more about today's episode, share with a friend, or send us an idea you have for a future episode at A Change of Brand. All right, let's get back to it. When we left off, we learned that Rob and the Mucho team won the project and quickly picked up on some warning signs around the internal complexities and decision-making at Visa. They plowed ahead anyway and presented three different visual directions. One was analytically selected, but as they started to push it forward, the team felt like it was missing something. In a brave act, they decided to go back, change directions, and fight for the yellow color and the legacy flag symbol. And to get to a place like this, it takes a lot of candidness and conflict. While Rob admitted you can't be completely transparent with clients, there is a limit, but he prides himself on being more direct than most in his profession. And for him, it's really about choosing his battles. I can't battle for every single thing, but I need to battle on things that are going to make a big difference. And then I'll let the client win those battles and we'll, we'll be concerned with the, the bigger battles to win. But I think I pushed and pushed and pushed, probably to the point where I was very close to losing the client and then just saying, look, we can't deal with you anymore, Rob. Um, this isn't working out, but... It, you know, it wouldn't have been where it is now without without that kind of stubbornness and without them accepting it and thinking about it and the collaboration at that point. Of, let's, let's just try some things. Let's just push this as hard as we can. I think in the end they got fed up with saying no to me. So they were just let him do what he wants. Just let him do what he wants. We haven't got time for this. <laughs> you wore them down. Wore them down. 
After a series of hard conversations with a shot of stubbornness, they had the basic direction for the identity, which ironically wasn't too different from what they pitched months before. It seems like they got pulled into a black hole of corporate bureaucracy and had to claw their way back out to see their way forward again. At this point, the team at Mucho started working on the painstaking details required for visual change at this level. Photography and illustration styles, color usage specifics, and crafting a custom typeface. But in classic Rob Snark fashion, he doesn't always like the idea of going custom. I don't really believe in this, that every project has to have a new typeface. There's enough typefaces out there. There's a, we don't need another new sans serif just for the sake of it. And People say, well, then it gives an identity to the brand. Not really. Nobody out there is going to know the difference between Arial and Helvetica in the first place, let alone another version of Circular that's, um, that's slightly different. But in this case, it made sense because in terms of licensing um, a typeface around the world, it's a lot of money for Visa. So it was a lot of money for them to commission this typeface by commercial type up front but then they own the rights to it. That was one of the easiest things to sell on <laughs> to Visa, because obviously I could explain, by doing this, you're going to save millions of dollars. Great, let's do it. Yeah, yeah, easy sell. That's the thing I found. I was like, by changing this color, you're going to save millions of dollars, which didn't really go down well, because you can imagine by changing the, the blue of Visa and every single sticker around the world needs to be reprinted. So that went the opposite way. But the typeface was an easy sell. Yeah, that's good. What about more of the work? Um, how did you feel like this final direction or the new visual identity system solved some of the initial problem for Visa? Yeah, I think it did. As I said, I think that initial problem was how do we create a purpose-driven mission? How do we become not a credit card company and known for having a purpose about lifting, including everyone everywhere? And I think that's what the flag did. Um we did it. Nobody wanted to call it a flag either because that represents what it was in the past, but it essentially was a flag. It was like an emblem or a symbol for them because that really represented equality and diversity. Unfortunately, as soon as this was released, the war in Ukraine um, started, and then everybody realized in the world that the visa, the new visa flag was the exact same colors as the Ukrainian national flag. So it wasn't um, it wasn't used as much as it was going to be around the world. It was, the flag was going to be seen everywhere. But then it w may have been confused with support for Ukraine, which I didn't see as a, I didn't see as a bad um, issue, but obviously remaining pay political as a company, the size of these numbers, the decisions they made. This is the second story this season where the war in Ukraine has changed the plans for a major consumer rebrand. However, unlike the Zapier story, Visa just downplayed the flag and could turn the use back up once it fell safe to do so. Sort of like a cute little prairie dog popped down in its hiding hole, just waiting for the prowling fox to pass by. Rob was a little bummed about this, of course, and would love to see the flag symbol used more often, even on the cards, almost like MasterCard's iconic overlapping circles. However, when it is in one color, it starts losing its recognition and feels like other general marks that are out there in the space. Speaking of the flag symbol, a brand system like this that has two potential identifiers, the word mark with the visa and then just the standalone flag, 
creates confusion internally. In-house teams sometimes don't understand which one to use and why. So I asked Rob if they had concerns about that complexity. Absolutely, there was concerns with us. Even once we came up with it, with understanding how we use it ourselves. And that was very important that we worked that out. That really the word mark um, is used to suggest the trust and the equity, the visa. has It's been around for 60 years. People trust it and it's got that recognizability. And the flag should be used to, for the purpose-driven message, the uplifting, and um, everyone everywhere. So once we've worked out that the two elements can be used together, but we should be highlighting them, maybe using the flag bigger when it's more about a purpose-driven message, or maybe dropping it and not using it if it's more about the trust, the transfer of money, etc., and the business side of it. As it neared time to launch the new identity, Rob and the Mucho team were really excited, not because they thought the work was revolutionary, but because they knew it had moved the needle for Visa. Designing for big corporations, I think, is the hardest thing to do because I always look at what any agency's done for a big corporation, I'm really wowed by it because if they've just done something clever, or interesting or creative or slightly different. I know they've been through how to get there. They've really had to know how to sell design. So I believe that we've done that with Visa and we've moved the needle to something that was unexpected uh, from a company like Visa as much as we possibly could. And I'm still very proud of it to this day and I always will be. In July of 2021, Visa's new brand identity launched with this campaign. What is this? No, not the game. That. You probably think Visa is a credit card company, huh? But get this. That name you see on everything is actually more like a signature. Visa is a network. It helps people move money from here to there and helps get this shopkeeper online so they can sell these jeans from the side of that mountain. It's the wizardry behind the scenes. Connecting just about everyone to just about everyone else. It can open eyes with a cup of coffee and change minds about what makes a business a business. Visa's reintroduction to the world with the Meet Visa campaign by Wyden and Kennedy quickly gained attention and received mostly positive reviews. Some questioned the Meet Visa message, while other criticism was limited to the outlandish. I found a video, in fact, about the entire rebrand being, quote, too woke or too inclusive, which to the producers of that video meant it felt fake and inauthentic. But that was really a small one-off and not really a theme felt more broadly. Overall, I think the results speak for themselves. According to one report, Visa outpaced MasterCard in 2021, increasing their brand value by 23% to $191 billion. And Visa were delighted with it. You know, of all the kind of pushing and discussions, they were over the man with the reception it was getting and could see, you know, they really valued that we really pushed back. I applaud the courage and honesty of Rob and the Mucho team to change courses and fight against the feedback for what they believed in. This is a risky move and certainly not for everyone. It takes a certain expertise and charm to lead your clients in this way, especially when it comes to one of the largest brands in the world. We're coming back being told 
okay, so this is the feedback we've got. We want you to do this, 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 and this. And many times I was saying, why? Why? What's the reason for this? Oh, because this person wants it. Yeah, but that doesn't make sense. Can I speak directly to that person? You know, and of course, you don't want me, crazy designer, going to their boss saying, I don't believe what you said is the right thing to do. But I think that's what makes good design at the end of the day. You need that honesty and you need to be able to speak to the final decision maker to make that. Mucho had the deck stacked against them. Huge stakeholder groups reviewing the work, criteria checklists for judging it, internal disagreements, no access to the CMO or the CEO. Additionally to those challenges, they also had some heavy turnover right after the brand launched. The CMO, Lynn Bigger, announced in November of 2021 that she would be stepping down. She was one of many that left. And with that kind of change, it's a miracle that any of the work survived. Often when the team who is part of the creative process leaves, the work leaves with them. A new group comes in with their own vision and their own ideas and their own desire to make their mark. However, Rob and his team overcame those odds and created an identity system that is more meaningful and modern for the brand. This work is something that Rob is quite proud of. There is one thing, however, he would do differently. If one thing I would do is I would charge three to four times the amount of money next time. What we do is get very close checks on our timesheets. And my, and maybe two or three weeks at the end of it, really looking at the timesheets and saying, what should we have charged to do this project? And that's great. And now we have that. It's clear to me that Rob's experience manifests as confidence. He knows who he is and what is needed for the work. Fueled by his ability to just be honest, he was able to steer the work well. He mentioned that this pays off in the pitch process for winning new clients as well. You just have to be yourself, confident that if your style doesn't work for that prospect, then they should go elsewhere. But that is easier said than done. It's hard when um, you've got overhead, you know, and sometimes you have to think, should take them out, should shut them out and just said yes to doing it because I needed the money. I know any time I've ever done that, halfway through, I regret it and go, no, I shouldn't have done that, should I? Yeah. Well, if, if in 10 years, Visa calls you up for another refresh, what would you say? I don't think they'll call us up from a refresh, to be honest. Um, I'd say, uh, well, here is, here is how much it's going to cost this time. And I'd like to be able to speak directly to um, the decision makers, not, not be involved in a big committee and process like that. I'd also want to really do a bit of research first to see if they have eventually fixed their internal decision-making processes uh, inside. Because if not, then all we would do again is is put a new set of clothes on them. And uh, as I said at the beginning, I think I wouldn't be surprised. To be honest, I would be surprised if these are rebrands again very soon. Okay, that is a wrap. Special thanks to Rob Duncan for his honest account of this change. And to see more visuals from today's episode, head on over to achangeofbrand.com. And if you liked today's episode, share it with a friend or leave us a review on Apple Podcasts. Today's episode was edited by Landon Osei Tutu, fact-checked by Jill Jeffries. 
written in part and produced by Brianna Felcher. Special thanks to Tracy Clark for the briefing and Rachel Jackson for today's artwork. I'm your host, Blake Howard, signing off.